Welcome to episode 114. Thank you for joining us. This week, we have another edition of World of War Gaming. William and I were able to spend some time with the founder and CEO of Victura Studios, Peter Tamty. Peter talks to us about his newest project, Six Days in Fallujah, a first-person tactical military shooter that recreates true stories of Marines, soldiers, and Iraqi civilians during Operations Vigilant Resolve and Phantom Fury. This game is so nuanced. It's not just your standard first-person shooter that is generally placed in a semi-historical setting based on a conflict that is far removed from history. He walks us through the highs and lows of developing a video game, the change in the standard lone wolf run-and-gun style gameplay, and the challenges of making a game that accurately recreates a battle that many people playing it have actually participated in. As you can imagine, there was a lot of criticism when the project was first announced, but interestingly, most of it came from those who never served. Peter treats this project with the passion and sensitivity of someone who wants to do this right and have it be something that is authentic to those who were there. When we talk about wargaming providing the reps and sets that will help future service members in future wars, Six Days in Fallujah is definitely shooting on target. And now, here's our conversation with Peter Tampty. Hello, MCA Skullboat listeners. My name is William, and I'm here with Vic. Hey! And we have a great episode today with a great guest. Today, we are meeting with Peter Tempty from Victoria, Victoria Games, correct? Or just Victoria. Yeah, either way. Victoria. And we are here to talk about the up-and-coming game, Six Days in Fallujah, which is something that's been long anticipated. It's long in the running. It's been long in the making. And we are here to go ahead and spill the beans about all the great details, at least as much Peter is willing to tell us. So, Peter, how are you today? Great, great. Thanks. Appreciate you having me on the show today. Awesome. So do you mind just providing our audience just some background information on, on yourself, who you are, how you wound up at Victura, and then just some uh, in, uh, intimate details about how the uh, development of Six Days in Fallujah started? Yeah, yeah, you bet. Yeah. So I, um, I've i been in the video game business for probably 25, 30 years or so. I built uh, early days. I um, built a uh, business called Maxsoft, which would, became the largest Macintosh software publisher in the world. And then I went to work for Apple, ran um, uh, senior director of consumer marketing. Steve Jobs hired me shortly after he got back to Apple, ran um, ran consumer marketing until uh, until uh, some friends of mine from uh, Bungie Software uh, gave me a ring and 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 said that they were interested in some help. They had this game called Halo coming up, and I knew these guys quite well, and so. Uh, they asked me to join Bungie as um, executive vice president. Did that through the acquisition of Bungie by Microsoft. Then I started another business called Destineer. Uh, we built that into one of the 25 largest publishers of packaged video games in the world, which of course now is a tiny, tiny segment of the market. At the time, it was 90% of the market. Today, it's like 10% of the market. But uh, was uh, that, and during that time is actually one of the things that we started doing. We started working with uh, Marine Corps. And um, one of the um, a good friend of mine had built a, a business called Atomic Games that was creating training systems for the Marine Corps. And um, it, through him, we began working with Marines and eventually acquired Atomic Games and began creating training systems for the Marine Corps, which is what led us to the, the, the Six Days in Fallujah project. So... Do you mind just uh, going into details, like how how did that project originate, and how did Victoria eventually come to to essentially, I guess, if right right acquire it, but become yeah yeah it? yeah yeah right. No, it's uh, it's a long and sorted story. So um, the, it started started innocently enough. We um, so part of the work that we were doing with the Marine Corps is um, the Marine Corps would send subject matter experts to us to help us get the systems right. And those subject matter experts, of course, would be Marines who had just been deployed. So these guys are going back and forth during the, you know, this is 2003 and 2004. And I got to know a number of these guys really well, became friends with a number of these guys. And one of them, uh, Marine Sergeant Eddie Garcia, um, was blown up by mortar in Fallujah um, uh, just within seconds or minutes of bleeding out. Um, buddies were able to help stop the bleeding. He was transferred to a hospital on the on the field, um, then a hospital in Baghdad, then a hospital in Germany, then a hospital in the United States, um, and uh, and then he called me, <laughs> and he told me these stories of these things that had happened during this battle, and 
even though I was very much in touch with, with military matters, I was embarrassed that I hadn't heard a single one of these stories. And uh, it was it was Eddie, actually, at that point, who suggested the idea of creating a game to try to recreate some of the experiences from these stories that he and other Marines had experienced during the battle for Fallujah. And right there on the spot, pretty much, I said, yes, here's one of my heroes asking me to tell his story and story of the others they fought alongside. I mean, it's one of the most I mean, it's the greatest honor of my life. And um, so I, um, I, we did that and um, we began, um, you know, um, through the work that we were doing with the Marine Corps at the time and, th and through Eddie and through many others that we got to meet, we began recording just, just a few weeks after these Marines had returned from Fallujah, recording their stories on video so that we could recreate them for the game. Uh, so I was out of Camp Pendleton, I was out at Lejeune, we were all over the place doing these, uh, getting these stories. And um, a couple of years into development, Activision releases Call of Duty Modern Warfare, the first one, it sells a billion dollars. And even though we had already invested $10 million of our own money into the game, it became clear that we were going to, budgets just exploded after Call of Duty Modern Warfare, and we're like, we're going to need a partner. So we partnered with Konami, one of the largest video game companies in the world, to fund the second half of the project, effectively. Announced the game in 2009. Internet explodes. Um, I mean, we had news organizations around the world just beating down our door to, to talk to us about this idea of recreating true stories through a video game, a documentary video game. And, you know, quite honestly, a lot of people were upset that we were trying to do that. And uh, Konami, um, their parent companies, parent companies, parent companies, board of directors in, in Japan, ordered the U.S. unit to pull out. I had to wind down the whole project. And so over the, in the next, um, uh, and I got discouraged. You know, I left the video game business actually for a number of years. Uh, I was discouraged by what had happened. Built a productivity software company, sold that and then reinvest the money into trading six days in Fallujah all over again. And so at that point then, this now we're at 2017, end of 2017, began 2018, I partnered with some of the guys that I had worked with at Bungie that I were new or instrumental in creating Halo and Destiny. Um, these are the core people on the, on, on the team at that time and um, asked them whether or not they would be interested in creating this game, Six Days in Fallujah. And they said, yes. And so we began that development. Uh, in very late 2017, a kind of a brand new revisioning of Six Days in Fallujah, but using a lot of the information that we had started gathering just weeks after the battle ended. So what was that process of collecting interviews at, weeks after the battle? And, and were the Marines you were interviewing, were they knowledgeable that this information was going through the development of the video game? And if so, what was their reaction to that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We were very, very clear. I mean, I I'd, I'd go into a barracks at Pendleton and um, Marines would line up, quite frankly, and they weren't so much anxious to tell their story as they were to tell their friend's story. I mean, you think about this, you know, if somebody risked or in some cases lost their life trying to save you, you want the world to know. And so we had many, many Marines um, tell us stories, everything from, you know, uh, guys would, would sketch out a, a, a house for us and say, you know, I went here, this guy did this, the insurgent did this, whatever, stepping through the stories, all the way from that kind of nitty gritty detail to we sat down on camera and had, and, and had many, many Marines on camera telling us their stories fresh from the battle. That's incredible. Yeah, and all so, the new, to answer your question, yeah, all of the new, this, but, but the whole point of what we're doing was to recreate this through a video game. There was a, a immediate enthusiasm for that. I mean, the, um, the resistance to the game has not really come from Marines. <laughs> it has come from people who are more hostile to America's military. Yeah, that's so interesting because one of my thoughts when you initially um, mentioned the um, sort of resistance to doing 
a documentary video game on events that I mean are in the very near, you know, very recent history. Right. Um, would be those folks who are clearly, you know, are coming, are, have been coming home in our home now with many, many scars, psychological and physical from these events. And so that was where my mind initially went. But what you're saying is the folks who are actually there, boots on the ground, they're all about this. And it was more sort of folks who already have a kind of an anti-war agenda that were the ones raising the biggest stink about this. Yeah, that's that's absolutely what we experienced. I'm not saying 100 Mm percent of the Marines who are in Fallujah support what we're doing. But my experience is the vast majority did and still do. Um, the there, you know, as, as we've reached out to different Marines over the last, you know, almost 20 years now uh, about this, a lot of them um, were a lot of, uh, so we get 70, 80% were anxious to participate. 10%, 20% um, have said, you know what, totally support what you're doing, but I don't want to go there anymore. I've moved on with my life and I don't want to go back. And so, uh, and we respect that. And then there's a, there is a a group of people who just don't think it's a good idea to try to recreate these things in a video game. Um, Did they ever give you like um, a sort of cohesive argument is regarding that or was it more emotional? um, You know, um, so I think there's, 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 there's definitely a couple points that, that of concern um, that, um, that we 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 take to heart, which is, um, are we going to recreate the death of their friend? Mm, oh man, yeah. You know, right. And so and we and so we decided very early on we're not going to do that. And um, when 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 um, when we need to communicate that, it, it's going to be communicated in a documentary style. That you know, their their friend explaining what happened. Yeah. To the, mar- to the to the marine, as opposed to recreating that, and and we certainly don't want to do something that um, you know, I mean, we we can. We, I mean, technically and creatively, you know, we can recreate humans, right? We've got this concept we call sure. digital humans now, right? And we can. Um, and so so the reaction to that ability to be able to do that in a game has been everything from, I I I don't want you to do that to. Uh, I, I really desperately want you to recreate this friend of mine because I never got the chance to say goodbye. Oh man. Yeah. Full range. And so, um, we've been trying to deal with that in a real sensitive way. Uh, clearly never doing something in which, um, uh, 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 you know, somebody who lost their life, um, that we're, we're doing something with them in the game that their family might be sensitive to. Sure. Right. And we don't need to, to, to tell a lot of these stories. We don't need to, this is very voluntary, but on the other hand, honestly, 80% of the time when I've run into those situations, those people want their stories to be told because the last thing they want is for their son's sacrifice to be forgotten. So, so it's the full, it is, it is really the full range. And, and um, so I think when you ask, you know, why might somebody, you know, there's, there's the two sides of people who might object to the game, the people who are participants in the battle and the people who are hostile to the people who mm-hmm. are in the battle. So um, from those who, um, from the side of the people who are in the battle, um, most of the resistance has come from people who don't play video games. And so they, they don't necessarily, they, they, what they see is they see that they see their, they see their friends or their kids playing call of duty, shooting each other up and, and just a very artificial representation right. of war. Right. And so yeah. it's, that's the only picture they have in their, in their minds. And once we talk about what we're really doing, then it's like, oh my, that's a completely different approach yeah. to than I thought. And we get a lot of support. Typically we get a lot of support from those people who oppose the game on the hand, other hand from, uh, uh, I mean, when we announced the game in 2009, um, you know, the media immediately went to the anti-war organizations. Keep in mind, we were still in Iraq at this point in 2000. Oh, sure. Yeah, right? no. Yeah. Yep. So the media immediately went to the anti-war organizations and, and asked them for quotes on it. And and the quotes were, I mean, these are people who don't think there should be film about uh, yeah, they, they I Hollywood guess, should create movies. Yeah. I guess from yeah. their perspective, it's glorification. It's glorification. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly right. Exactly right. And, and you know, um, <laughs> I think it comes from a perspective of not really understanding the mentality of somebody who serves. 
I, I've spoken at this point with hundreds of Marines who participated in combat. And I don't know any of them who really want more war, right? It's, the war has affected them in a very, very personal way. But at the same time, they understand that sometimes it's necessary. And one of our hopes with what we're doing with Six Days is to educate people who have not been part of combat on why, why it is that things go uh, in, in a way that you don't expect, why it's more complex than you expect. Uh, von Clausewitz talks about this a lot in, in, you know, in, uh, in On War, about the friction of combat. Mm -hmm. And I remember going back to um, 2004, after those four Blackwater contractors were hung from the bridge mm -hmm. that yeah. provoked an emotional reaction across the world, and especially in the United States, Pax Americana, we cannot let them do that to us. And um, that kind of caused, it put a lot of pressure on the political leadership to go do something really substantial. But at that very same time, General Mattis and the other leadership inside the military saying, don't make me take that city because that is gonna create a humanitarian crisis and it's gonna create more enemies for us. We know who did this, let's just go deal with them. Mm -hmm. But because the public had this emotional reaction to what had happened, there was a lot of pressure on the political leadership to, to go in. And that was Fallujah 1, right? So we go in, we get about halfway through the city, and you know, in like four days. Yeah. Right? But exactly what General Mattis said was going to happen, happened. Which was, now all of a sudden, you've got all these media people running around taking pictures. Hey, there's a sniper in a minaret. He's killing Marines. Well, you got to do something about that minaret. But what is what what part gets on television? It's not the the part that gets on television is not the sniper shooting at the Marines. It's the Marines blowing up the minaret. Right. Right. And so there's this reaction that oh my goodness, you got to get out of the city. And so uh, political leadership then tells the military leadership, you were right. You got to get out of the city. We shouldn't have done this. I mean, they didn't say that obviously, but that's what right. Right. So we pull out of the city, and within just two months. The person who's in charge of that city is now Abu al-Zarqawi, effectively the godfather of ISIS. So here's the thing. I think most of us understand intellectually war is difficult, but we don't fully appreciate the sacrifice of individuals who are asked on our behalf to be there, and we don't fully understand the complexity that ever since von Clausewitz, the generals have been trying to get the politicians and the public to understand. But what we can do then is the closest thing we can do that is to actually put a video game player in a recreation of that scenario where they have to solve the problem for themselves. And in the process of solving the problem for themselves, become a lot more knowledgeable about the complexity of what war really involves. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think too, like, um... Interestingly enough, and this was before the digital era, but we would do things uh, as I'm sure you've you've heard about is you know sand table exercises. That was sort of yeah, our stacks. way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so there was a level of sensitivity there, but at the same time, there was this also the urgency that when I get an after action report, for better or for worse, I would be irresponsible as a leader of Marines to not sand table what was actually happening Bingo. maybe even days, weeks ago. Yes. Um, and understanding yeah. that a lot of those Marines that are standing around that sand table knew the Marines that were involved in this action for better or for worse. Yeah, good point. And, and, but at the same time, I can't sanitize it because we have to chalk talk this thing. We have to put ourselves in their feet so that, because I'm, I'm in the shoot, man. Like I'm going to be exactly on the ground that they're standing and, you know, 120 days yeah. and so if i just ignore this thing or if i just right. play it off or if i just give a lecture right uh, it, it doesn't have it doesn't do them any good there's no training opportunities there's no growth there's no preparation involved and so i think that nuanced piece is something that like you've already articulated like it, it can't necessarily be understood by by anybody who's not wearing the uniform and i think because i think yeah. about from my personal experience, I, now granted, if you were trying to make a video game out of things that I've done, it would be the most boring video game ever. <laughs> it wouldn't make it past <laughs> beta testing. But at the same time, like 
the thing that I would want and I would encourage would be if you were to take the things that I experienced or those like me have experienced so that those who are going forward and now we're in this weird pause, right? Like we went through 20 years of war where at the cyclical rate, young Americans were experiencing this thing. And so almost corporately, we had this culture of understanding. We don't have that anymore. Right. And God help us when it does happen again. I mean, we're sort of on pace that every 10 years, something goes down. Right. Right. And so what are those guys, what are those guys and gals going to do? Right. Are we just going to throw them into the meat grinder without any, or are we going to take this, this deep, deep wealth of information and experience and then share that? And right. So, I mean, bingo. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think even in some cases, um, the problem becomes more complex because I don't know if media collectively really captures the essence of the challenge. I mean, if you think about in video games, the goal of a game like Call of Duty is to make the player a hero. And, and in order to do that, they have to make compromises on realism. We we look, (laughs) yeah, yeah, right. And we, we kind of look at it a little differently in that we don't think that our job is, um, and we don't think that what players are asking from us is to be a hero. I think, I think, I mean, yes, they are ultimately, we all want to be heroes, but I think what they, the first question is, I, I'm kind of curious about what it's really like. Mm-hmm. And so we are approaching it from this, that angle, instead of the, you're going to be a hero angle. We're, we're approaching it from the, no, we actually have spoken with more than a hundred Marines who participate in this battle. And they have told us a lot of information. We've built this simulation around all that insight, built AI to use the tactics that, 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 that we were, that were described to us, um, built a procedural architecture system so that you can, re- so that the player experiences the uncertainty. They don't know what's on the ins- other side of that yeah. door, you know, all these different kind of pieces to try to create an experience that, um, you know, the go- goal is understanding the way it really is, as opposed to just simply being a hero. Yeah. So, and that, that I hope will actually provide some, some insight, not just to, to players, but, but also, yes, absolutely to, to, um, future, future warriors. So you brought up a great point about how a lot of modern game series, especially in the first-person shooter genre, leaning towards historical incidences, are really struggling with authenticity. I mean, there was a glimmer of hope with Battlefield 1, but then they threw it away with the next few of their series. Call of Duty, I mean, they just added Nicki Minaj this week as a playable character. So they're struggling as, as they historically as they appeal to a more Gen Z audience. What right. does Sixteen's Fallujah do differently? Um, both in terms of storytelling and gaming mechanics that brings that authenticity to your game? Yeah. So we, uh, um, yeah, it's a great question. And, and, um, and there's, there's, there's three specific things I want to talk about that we're, that we're doing just fundamentally different approach. So um, uh, Jamie Griesimer, um is our, our game director. Jamie was lead designer on Halo. In fact, at the time we sold Bungie to Microsoft, he was the only designer on Halo, and then he was the only designer on, on, on Destiny for uh, the pre-production of that as well. So as you can imagine, this is a guy who's really been instrumental in, in, in creating a lot of the things, the way we play video games today. First thing he did, he sat down and he, he watched these interviews that we had captured from uh, Marines, and he, um, and he read tons of documents that we had from the battle, firsthand accounts of what had happened. And the thing that he noticed from, um, the first thing he noticed was he's like, uncertainty. Um, the, I touched on this just a second ago, but it is central to understanding the challenge. Uh, Marines never knew what was on the other side of each door. And that was terrifying to them. It affected everything about how they were going to go through that door to their mindset, their mentality. All of this is affected by the fact that you have no idea what's on the other side of that door. But that of course is the opposite of the way video games work because we play the same maps over and over again. So we started investing in a technology we call procedural architecture. The idea is that the literally the structure of the buildings themselves change every time you play. The rooms, the layout of the rooms, where the doors are, where the windows are, all these things change every time you play. So you can no longer do what video game players do, which is to memorize the map. 
you have, you just don't know. So, um, and that changes because the second you don't know what's on their side of the door, it changes how you're going to enter that door. Of course, Marines, you're, you're taught fatal funnel, right? That, 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 you know, if there's a, if there's any insurgents on the other side of that door, they are aiming their fire on that doorway because the doorway is a fatal funnel. Yeah. They got to clear the breach. You got to clear the breach and you got to clear it quickly and you got to get control of that room. And if you don't do that successfully, a number of people are not going to survive. So that is, so, so, um, so that is, so first technology we built is this idea of, of procedural architecture so that the, the structure of the buildings themselves, the layout of the buildings themselves changes every time you, every time you play the game. Um, next thing is um, that we, we really, um, we really learned a lot about teamwork. Um, you can lone wolf your way through Call of Duty, especially in Call I mean, hey, look, yeah, you're playing on a team, and I don't want to just pick on Call of Duty. You can lone wolf your way through any video game, <laughs> almost yeah. any video game, yeah. right? And, um, and, and a lot of that has to do with the, um, the way that the AI systems are developed or the way the game is developed in the case of a competitive game. And so we've tried to strip away a lot of the the, um, the niceties. And in our case, we're building a game that is a, cooper, a cooperative multiplayer game so that we have control over those AI. We can cause the AI to deploy certain kinds of tactics that um, human players and competitive multiplayer often don't use. So we can force a, a deeper level of reality into the, into the scenarios. And what we found is that it is very, very difficult to be successful in missions in six days in Fallujah as a solo player. You can try. And in fact, we've had some very capable um, uh, YouTube and Twitch creators who have tried. And some of them have been successful in creating missions and in, in completing missions. But they said that takes them typically 30, 40 tries. <laughs> so it's extremely difficult to complete complete missions successfully in six days as a solo player. You have to work with your team. So therefore you have to move and communicate uh, with tactical efficiency. So that is just fundamentally different than the way virtually any other military shooters approach the problem. So now you've got an environment, you don't know what's on the inside and you've got AI that's programmed in a, in a certain way. Um, we call it block scale AI program in a specific way to ensure that you cannot be successful as a solo player. It's very difficult to be successful as a solo player. Um, so, so Peter, really quick yeah, on that note, yeah, yeah. Um, how, mm -hmm. what sort of, I guess, um, consequence or, because it seems like what you're striving for is almost a culture shift within uh, gaming itself outside yeah. of, you know, like from the military standpoint and those who are listening uh, who are in uniform or have worn the uniform understand the wargaming structure and those sorts of things. Yeah. And we're talking about a very small population. For the yeah. vast majority of gamers, my, my sons included, um, mm -hmm. we are all about running and gunning, man. Like it's just about leveling up and getting your yeah. badges uh, and meeting yeah. certain criteria, right? And so, and you know, finding special upgrades. Yeah. Um, so th what you're talking about seems like a massive a, a paradigm shift within the gaming yeah. experience itself. What, yeah. what, I guess, what have some of your thoughts moving forward on, on some of that stuff? Like, do you feel like this is going to be embraced or have you uh, prepared yourself to absorb some, uh, you know, criticisms on, on the gameplay itself? Yeah, well, we're getting it right now. I mean, okay. I mean, our return rate's higher than it should be because a lot of players go into the game trying to play solo, realize they can't play solo, and then they pull back out. And and so to be clear, we're going to also um, release, um, hopefully later this year, um, but not too long from now in any event, um, the ability to play solo where you control AI Marines teammates. So you still have to deploy tactics effectively. Um, and so therefore we still maintain a, that, level, that level of realism. In the meantime, however, yeah, we've absolutely gotten a lot of flack from players who don't want to do that. But we've also gotten the exact opposite effect, which is a whole lot of people, and quite frankly, a lot of them are veterans, have embraced what we're doing to say, sure. this is the first time somebody's actually made a realistic video game. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. Please, please, please don't let up. And in fact, we're going to, we're going to give, we're going to dig 
deeper into that, into that yeah. level of realism with some of our future content updates. So it, it works both ways. Some people love, really love what we're doing. Some people don't. What I, I don't necessarily expect, though, I don't necessarily expect that to be adopted in a broad sort of way. Mm -hmm. um, again, I think fundamentally, a lot of video games believe that their job is to make the player the hero, and they're going to keep doing things that make players feel like a hero as opposed to um, trying to be as realistic as possible. Yeah, I know from my experience in gaming, most of the titles that you've mentioned, I've really enjoyed playing, but I always did feel like, but I'm doing this on my own. That's not realistic. Right, right. right. Um, and yeah. so I'm glad to hear, I'm really happy to hear that there is an upswell of folks who sort of resonate there with are. that sentiment. Yeah. There are, and we play test this. Um, you know, we bring in uh, regular video game players to play test um, as we're in in development, just to just to try to get a feel for is it too hard, is it too easy, blah blah. blah. And are they understanding the controls, all that stuff? Really interesting results. And we and we did this like a dozen times. We take you know four players. They're good at Call of Duty or they're good at Battlefield or whatever. Come on in, they play the game. We watch them first time. All four players run four different directions at the beginning. <laughs> second second time. They stick a little bit closer together. By the third or fourth time, somebody in the group will go, if we don't stick together, we are not going to survive. <laughs> <laughs> and then from that point forward, they actually start talking. Now, they, they don't have the proficiency that somebody who's really been training the tactics has, but they gradually inch, inch their way towards that and their play times each time, first time, 30 seconds, second time, a minute. And eventually they're getting up that in seven, eight, nine minutes before they, the team gets wiped out. So it's definitely, and then we ask them the question after, afterwards, is it too hard or not? And they're all like, yes, it's too hard. Please don't change that. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> nice. Yeah. 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 So I think there's, there are players who I really do believe there are a lot of players who are really curious what it's really like to be in combat. And they know they're not getting that from most of the mainstream video games. And so therefore we're just, we're, we're doubling down on that. Awesome. Yeah. So you've, you've given us some feedback in terms of how gamers have viewed it. Um, to what extent have you gotten feedback for, um, from your most recent development uh, from Marines, and, and especially also ones who've been in Fallujah as well? Very favorable. Um, we've very favorable. And of course, you know, we, we actually had a bunch of guys who've helped us with the game. We've, a number of them we had play the game um, before we released it. We've released it into early access so far. So we've released about 10% of the game so far. It's available on Steam to play and um, uh, still 90% to go, but we've got that 10% out. And we had, we did, we had a, a number of, of guys who had helped us. Um, I shouldn't say numbers, a few of those guys that helped us play the game. In addition to that, um, then, of course, since the game has been um, released into early access, we, we've had, I mean, uh, tens of thousands of veterans play the game. Um, I don't even, it's tens of thousands. I don't even know how many. And they're posting really nice things about the game, um, recruiting their friends to play the game with them as well and then of course you've got um youtube and twitch creators who are veterans and um and they're publicly talking about the game and saying just really wonderful heartwarming things to us i mean we, in many ways we've been creating this game as much for those veterans as for a broader player group and so you know, obviously you like it when anybody tells you, thanks, I really appreciate this game, giving me a new insight into something or has changed this or that about my life. But when that person is somebody who served, then they tell you this is the most realistic representation of what I experienced. I mean, our whole, our whole, our whole development team. <laughs> you know, that whole day, we're twice as productive as <laughs> we were the day before because it, that just means so much to us. That's, really that's the juice, yeah. It's the juice. It's the juice. And it's the juice that kept me alive on this project, quite frankly, when we were getting attacked by media so vociferously. You know, even after we had to wind things down back in 2009, I would get emails. I got emails for years after that, just out of the blue. I'm a Marine, I served in Fallujah, or I'm a soldier, I served in Fallujah, and I really want you to tell our story. Um, please don't let this thing die. And then um, when we announced what we're doing, re-announced the game in 2021, uh, we were, I mean, we were really attacked by the games media. I mean, they just, they, they, I mean, they really came after us hard. And every time, it seemed like every time 
I would read one of these articles from somebody who clearly just hates the American military. Um, I would get an I would get an email that same day out of the blue from somebody I didn't know who was a veteran who said, who would then describe, they don't just say this game's important to me. They describe why this game is, is so important to them. And it gave, and I'd spread that with the team because the team could get discouraged. And then they'd get, again, they'd get this email from a veteran saying, this is why what you're doing is so important to us. Please go, please keep going. And it just, it, it was, it was the electricity that fed us through a lot of discouraging moments. Interesting. So uh, having watched some of the gameplay and, and, and played some of the early access myself, one thing that uh, intrigues me is that something that a lot of, especially first person shooters don't handle is uh, the fact that in the battle space, there's a lot of civilians. How does six days in Fallujah handle that? And what, what um, factors went into decisions of whether to include civilians in the way you did? Yeah, so we're going to be doing a lot more with civilians in future releases, even in early access. It's a technical problem to solve. And when we think about the, um, the AI systems that we need to develop, our first system that we built was the insurgent AI system so that at least we could let human players play the game um, uh, by teaming up with each other. The, the second step is then um, to, to build the Marine AI, the friendly AI, and, and you also play uh, uh, Army soldiers as well. So I shouldn't just call Marine AI, but um, friendly AI. Um, and, and that we're in very late stages of right now, to, uh, finishing that. And then the, 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 then the, the final piece there will be the civilian piece as well. Uh, and as you mentioned, it was a, um, it was a big complicating factor. So in a lot of games right now, uh, civilians are just scripted. So that's, and that's what we've been doing so far. So, the, the, so it's very limited, but we're going to, uh, to really, um, make those civilians feel human. There's, there's a lot of technology that goes into that. And, um, you know, I, I heard, I heard a lot of empathy expressed from Marines who were in Fallujah about the, the civilians who were left in the city. Keep in mind, uh, because of what had happened in the first battle for Fallujah, before the second battle, the Iraqi government and, um, and the Western coalition all, I mean, aggressive effort to get uh, civilians out of the city. Everybody was told it's coming. And, I, and we've spoken with a ton of civilians who were in the city at the time. And they all said, yep, everybody knew. Everybody knew that this was going to happen. And they all knew that we had this window of time to get out of the city. 90% or so of the civilians did leave the city. But the 10% that was left, um, you know, they were there because uh, in some cases uh, they had health issues that didn't allow them to get out. Um, in some cases, they didn't know where they would go if they left the city, um, didn't necessarily have family they could stay with. And in some cases, um, they worked for an employer who said, I need you to, to stay uh, and protect the, the home or the, um, or the business. So there were some legitimate reasons why civilians were still in that city, and that was very, very dangerous for them. And Marines, as they're clearing the city at that point, you know, the job is to get everybody out of the city so that, I mean, literally every human being out of the city cordon off the city and then only let people back in who have an identification that they can prove that they're a resident of the city. That was, that was the whole purpose of the operation, right? So as they're clearing, they're encountering, you know, uh, um, you know, I had a Marine talk about encountering a man who was on dialysis, you know, I mean, that operation stopped, right? There's an innocent guy here and our job is now changed from clearing this home to getting this guy to safety. And um, on the other hand, you also have insurgents who who had stashed weapons all over the city, and um, they would and, and tunnels. And so when they were um, getting cord, uh, cornered inside of a house, drop their weapon, escape from a rooftop or escape through a tunnel, and they just walk out in the street. Now they're not armed. They look just like any other civilian. So what do you do? That that individual may have just killed your best friend. What do you do? You can't. You can no longer do anything because you can't prove that uh, you can't. He's he's unarmed. So how do you deal with these situations? Civilians are a very. That was that was a factor for Marines as they're clearing the city. That this fear of 
how, what do they do when they encounter civilians? I had some Marines say they never encountered a civilian the entire time. And I had others that say that they encountered a hundred of them. It, right, so. so interestingly enough on that, so from my experience, um, my sort of counter to that friction, which was omnipresent, yeah. was we always had Iraq, the Iraqi army yeah. or whomever with us, and yes. they could sort of vet yes. these things for us. Is that a is that an aspect of the game that you guys are going to be incorporating? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And I think that's a story we really want to tell. Um, for sure. That's an amazing yeah. story, actually. It is. It is. I'll tell you honestly what makes it hard to tell that story. Many of the Iraqis, most of the Iraqis who participated at that time, between that time and now, are no longer alive. Yeah, because of ISIS. Yeah. No, I correct. That's I get right. so many stories of my buddies who are no longer with us now because Iraqi buddies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, again, this 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 is counterintuitive to people who who haven't spent as much time with those who served but but i mean and it really blows your mind when you think about it because um many of those um iraqis who were fighting alongside the marines in 2004 a year before that were on the other side of the battlefield oh, yeah. shooting at the marines mm -hmm. right because they're part of the iraqi military and um the something that changed between those two times you know, those two moments in time is the relationship that America had with with the Iraqi military. And so now you're alone in the house, dependent on this guy's dark house. You're dependent on an Iraqi in many cases. And I have and I have story of Marine after Marine that talks about an Iraqi saving his life. I mean, it's just it's I mean, it's just something um, it's just something that we want people to understand is that. Um, you know, and actually, Eddie Garcia said it the best. I think he he said, you know, we lost thousands; they lost hundreds of thousands. And what were they fighting? They're 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 fighting terrorism. They're fighting a common enemy. And I would love for more Americans, more Europeans, to understand that sacrifice that Iraqis have made as well. Yeah, yeah. And so, so that's absolutely a big part of what we're doing. It's absolutely, cool. it's a big part of it, because the Marines who we talked to from day one, asked us to make it a big part of it. Nice. Yeah. So to what, to what extent have Iraqis been involved in Six Days in Fallujah and what has their uh, reaction been from the ones that you've worked with? So um, we've got, um, so far we've interviewed about uh, 26, I think the exact number is 26 or 27, something like that, Iraqis who um, were involved. And um, that ranges from civilians to interpreters to a deputy prime minister of Iraq. And wow. um, yeah, and the um, um, yeah, <laughs> so that's a more complicated answer um, in terms of what's their reaction. That's a more complicated answer. It, it requires because the, the the perception is that we're going to make um, um, Iraqis the enemy, and um, and once we step through that a little bit. Um, uh, 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 many of them understand. Now, the other side of that is many of the people we've worked with, Iraqis we've worked with, were um, interpreters or or, or, or or fought in in in, in um, with uh, uh, Iraqis fighting for Iraqi forces, and um, those individuals did not need any, expl any explaining. Yeah. They need right. no explanation. They're right there, um, right there, and I mean, and their stories, their stories are incredible. Uh, I, I mean, I, I mean, the risks to their family, the sacrifices, the the friends that they lost. Yeah, it's 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 right there. And in uh, the other thing, I don't think people fully understand too, is so in the battle, the second battle of Fallujah was, I think it was probably one of the first times that Iraqi forces were embedded with American troops in uh, active um, in in in, a, in combat, and intentionally. So. Um, so those 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 Iraqis, uh, many of them wore face masks because the, the, not just them, but their families will be hunted. If their identities are discovered, I mean, this is a time when there was a lot of instability throughout the country, and it was very easy for, yeah, that's, you know, he's not a part of my tribe, but I know who he is. That's my neighbor. 
or that's, I know that guy, I've seen him and this, whatever it is. So a lot of those guys had to wear masks. That's the risk that they were taking because they had to still live and their families lived within, you know, an hour or two of where that battle was taking place. Wow. I mean, yeah, I can't tell you how many times I had to release an interpreter because word got out that yeah. he was with us. And now he had to jam back to his hometown yeah. to evac his family. Yeah, right. Um, that was a fairly regular occurrence. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, yeah. It's a, it is a definitely an aspect of culture that we don't really appreciate here. Everything we do is very individualized and things. Um, and you don't really kind of get this idea that, like, just like you said, Peter, like, yeah, they may not know him directly, but they'll know someone who does know him and yeah. they have this very crazy recognition. And and like you want to talk about like going viral <laughs> when a linguist gets identified, it yeah. would I mean everybody knew almost instantaneously. Yeah. Uh, so there were so many times where, you know, like, hey, actually, Eagle, we've got a convoy going back to that location. Just jump on there and then you'll at least get some security with you. So you're not just like in some bongo truck, like jamming back to Baghdad. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was crazy. It was. Cr yeah. 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 It's still somebody who's sitting here in the United States, even decades later, it's still hard to contemplate the risks that some of these guys took. And they told us why they took the risks. They, 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 many of them were really wanted Saddam gone for sure. And, and, and others, you know, I, 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 I've had Iraqis that flat out said we wanted the American dream in Iraq. That's what well, sure. we were and then, there for. You know, I mean, the whole like uh, basis of uh, Sahawa, the awakening was, hey, we're yeah. tired of these foreign Al-Qaeda yeah. guys coming yes. in and killing Iraqis. Like, you guys yeah. are no better than the Americans. At least the Americans are giving us opportunity. You're just killing us. Yes, right. Exactly. 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 Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Peter. As you wrap down this uh, interview, do you mind just telling us, so for people who have not downloaded the early access, what content is available now and then what content can they uh, expect to have by the time the game is completed? Yeah, great question. Thank you. Yeah, so the game's available on Steam right now, on PC, on Steam, uh, and that's the best place to download it. And, um, you know, as I mentioned, about 10% of the game's out right now. Um, yeah, what we've got right now is four cooperative multiplayer missions. And um, we're going to be releasing some more content in a few weeks. That's going to create more variety within that. Uh, we're also then um, just continually each quarter going to be doing two things. First, we're going to be adding more missions. So there'll be a broader array of things you can play. And then um, we'll be adding significant features to the game that aren't there right now. So I mentioned one of them earlier, which is that you'll be able to play uh, single player with control over three AI teammates. So fire team or four. Uh, that's a big, big feature that um, uh, we're, we're approaching, again, differently than the way a lot of um, tactical shooters have approached that in the past. And then um, the, uh, the, the, the next big piece that we'll be releasing after that will be bits of our story campaign, which are the pure documentary. Like you're going to see an interview of somebody who was in the mission. They're going to talk about the mission. Then you're going to be responsible for completing that mission yourself. Um, and uh, so very human stories what happened and then your your responsibility to try to solve those missions the way you want to solve them um and uh we also have an operator mode that we'll be introducing which is where you can um, you'll play as uh special operations units who are conducting slightly different missions than what the conventional forces were doing in the city so and using a little bit different um gear as well well and out of curiosity uh do you have any plans to uh, release any of the footage, interview footage that you have, or any of the interviews conducted in the making of this uh, game at any point? You know, it's a great question. I think we'll do some of it. Um, I think we'll do some of it. So the, the reality is we, 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 we can only use three or 4% of what we've actually recorded in the game. There's just, I mean, we've hundreds of hours of it. And um, so, yeah, I think we are gonna do some of that. Um, there's a little debate going on right now about whether we should be doing that between now and when we release, 
we have to just be really careful not to blow some of the stories that are going to get told in the actual game. So um, some of it make some of it will actually, I'm sure we'll do we'll release more and more of that between now. We've done a little bit of that in our trailers, by the way. So we've got a couple of trailers um, that and and we'll do a little bit more of that um, as well. So yeah, there'll be there'll be there'll be some of that that'll be outside the game, but um, the the bulk of it will definitely. Uh, be a part of the experience. Keep keep in mind the reason for this is, you know, the premise that we had going into this game is that by trying to do some of these things yourself, you're going to learn something that you can't get just by watching somebody else tell the story. So really for us to, our, you know, the way we believe players are going to best understand what had happened to the extent somebody who wasn't there can under, ever understand what happened is by these interviews and documentary pieces and then attempting to do it yourself instead of watching an interview. So, all right. Well, Peter, thank you for coming on our show. We really appreciate it. To all of our listeners out there, go ahead and get the uh, pre-access for uh, Six Days in Volusia. Play it, and if you have any, uh, you know, any thoughts or feelings, please relay it to us. We'd love to, you know, discuss this further. And uh, Peter, well, hopefully, we'll have you uh, back on the show once the uh, the game's one hundred percent out there. You bet. I'd love to do yeah. that. Thank you for and, having and me And here. Peter, please um, send those links to those trailers for us. We can put those in the uh, show oh, description. Great. Yeah, I'll do too. that. Yeah, yeah, send those over to us. I'd love to uh, be able to get that out. But this was I'd awesome, love, Peter. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, you bet. You bet. Right meeting both of you guys. Thank you. All right. Well, listeners, thank you again. And uh, stay safe and, uh, you know, get some get some game time in, you know, take take a breather. You don't need to read the Gazette every day. You can take a take an hour <laughs> yeah. a day maybe and, and get some six days of fusion in. But yeah, all right. Take learn you something. Learn you something. <laughs> all right. Thanks. Thanks, Peter. You bet. Did you know that you can support the professional development of Marines serving today with a tax deductible contribution? Marines benefit from the professional education resources we provide, and they also receive awards from the Marine Corps Association like the Chesty Puller Award given to every honor graduate at Marine Corps Recruit Depots. Make your charitable contribution while there's still time for it to be deducted from your 2023 taxes. Thank you for your support, and Semper Fidelis. Scuttlebutt is a production of the Marine Corps Association. I am William Truding. But you've also heard the voices or contributions of Vic Rubel, USMC Retired, Nancy Lichman, or Ty Frazier. The opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect the official stance of the Marine Corps, DOD, or Marine Corps Association.